Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Perspective. As always, we are the official podcast of the MTG at Home Discord server. If you miss just playing with your cards, having that feel in your hand, being able to shuffle your deck and kind of just play paper magic, go ahead and click the link down in the description below and just hop in the server. Talk to myself, talk to Matt, talk to Alex, who's not here, by the way, spoiler, and uh, play some paper magic with us. As always, or newly this week, I should say, I am joined by my two wonderful co-hosts. We have, like normal, Matt. Matt, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm missing Alex. I don't get to rib him about playing Grixis this week, and that saddens me. Well, we don't want to miss Alex too much because that's offensive to our new guest. Our new guest this week is a very close friend of mine who I've known for the majority of my life. Uh, Adrian, how are you today? Doing well. Doing a long, long work week. Yeah, and that's kind of how we're all feeling. I'm very tired, and uh, I would love to sleep. But I'm not good at napping. If I try to take a nap, I'll wake up at like 9, <laughs> and then I can't sleep for the rest of the night, and then uh, I'm kind of screwed yeah. for the next day. But Adrian... I want to be able to kind of introduce you to the audience. You're actually part of the reason I started playing Magic. Um, everyone's heard my story at this point of how I got into Magic and going to the LGS with a friend. Uh, that unnamed friend is actually you, Adrian. Um, and you played a little bit before I did, but go ahead and say how you got into uh, Magic. Uh, so when I was maybe 11 or 12, I want to say, 12 or 13, somewhere around there, early years, um my friend's childhood friend just had a bunch of cards that he got passed down to him from his cousin and he was like hey let's play this and i was like cool all right and we played it for a few weekends and then i dropped it and uh while me and brad were kind of dabbling into Yu-Gi-Oh a bit we went to our lgs and um the owner was actually offering free full art Amonkhet land promos, I think it was. If we, uh, yeah, if we did the um, the learn how to play event, I was like, well, all right. I mean, that's like a free ten bucks, so sure, I'm in. And then uh, I got that spark back for my like of magic and started playing again. Yeah, and I actually still have that land um, that oh, we got wow, that really? day. It, it was actually really cool. Yeah, um, it's in my um. My Rakdos deck, my Rakdos Pyromancer deck. And the funny thing is, it's actually, um, it was an hour of devastation uh, land because it, it was the, had the horns. Oh, uh, it was, yeah. Mine was the mountain. So yeah, it had the horns of Bolas where the sun was dead center in it, um, which I thought that yeah, was cool. A good one. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if he was allowed to give us that land before hour came out. I don't know. I don't want to get him in trouble. So I guess we'll leave our LGS unnamed. Was it before hour? Yeah, it was. It was before hour, yeah, because Alan Kit just yeah, came out. We did the pre-release for hour. Yeah, which that was actually a lot of fun back when they had midnight pre-releases, or at least hour LGS, which they leaned into what the the eight p.m. or whatever ones. Yeah, but yeah. Um, one other thing, Adrian, I wanted to bring up is you have a PBTQ under your belt, um, playing at the LGS and everything, but I want you to tell everyone what deck you won that pptq with well my uh the deck i won that pptq with and still my favorite deck to this day i like to run it in pioneer league sometimes is a uh, electrostatic pummeler the energy deck 
from Kaladesh and Aether Revolt. And do you remember what decks you uh, beat on the way there? Um, yes, actually, I I went up against Team Energy at its peak. Um, so I beat Team Energy. I beat Jund Energy when it was kind of popular, which was weird. I my one loss actually came to that deck. Um, but the big thing, I guess I'll tell a little story of the PPTQ is there were four players who all could double draw into top eight. Um, so they all got 11 points. Uh, as I was three and one going into the last round, I was a winning in. So I won and went four and one, ended up getting 12 points and getting the first seed. So I was on the play against two, uh, God Pharaoh's gift decks, blue, white God Pharaoh's gift. Which they don't really do anything until turn four. And I was hopefully killing them by turn four, especially on the play. So I had a really good matchup. Yeah. And that's what I really credit that one to. Just got a little lucky for the meta. Well, GPG uh, decks are um, all over a store right now. Every time I try to log into Arena and try and get some daily uh, quests in, to try and I guess hoard uh, wild cards and everything for whenever Pioneer finally comes to it, which is hopefully at the end of the year, with the first master set. Hopefully, um, yeah, I, I'm seeing so many, so many of those decks, and uh, it's really cool. I mean, they're, they're they're cool decks and interesting, and you can do them different ways. But a lot of the time, it's the same kind of thing. They play they play Emery to fill their yard. They they play um, the Champion of Wits to copy yep. that and then draw four cards, which is cool. And uh, I see some some spice. They'll throw in, like, um, Dracoseth, and they'll copy oh. that. So they have a 4-4 four, four flyer um, that is able to just shoot things down. Um, that's cute. I think that's pretty cool. But uh, that's really it. I mean, it, uh, there's not too much other spice than that. Though I did see one that was running, like, Mox Ambers and stuff and, like, a weird Wizards package, which was just... It seemed bad, <laughs> but... You know, at least people were experimenting with it. Yeah, and and when it was um, during that PBTQ, it was really uh, it had just recently won a big GP, and a lot of people were just net decking the list as Angel of Invention coming in as a four four lifelink, and then also getting either two counters or two uh, servos. So now, was this the build that ran a combat celebrant? No, that was actually after the um, the ban on a tune with Aether, so people had to get oh, okay. a little more creative. Because I I remember I um I kind of I took a step back from Magic a little bit um, before uh, I guess Exelon came out, and you actually were telling me because I already had the playset of Combat Celebrant because that was my tech in my uh, my mono red aggro deck or red decks red yeah. deck wins or whatever you want to call it, and. Uh, I kind of I was looking through the deck, seeing if there's anything of value to trade into the shop, and you're like, "Yeah, those are like twelve bucks now." I'm like, "Why?" It was a bulk mythic, basically. No one played. He's like, "Oh, a top deck just happened to play. They figured it out." I was like, "Oh, sweet." <laughs> so I traded him in. Pretty much. That's always a great feeling. Normally, I, uh, this would be the moment where we kind of go into the pioneer meta game and kind of talk about what challenges happened, who won what, and if there's any spicy decks that have happened over the last week. And to be honest, there really hasn't been that much changed in the uh, in the metagame. Um, the biggest difference is that Wilderness Reclamation, uh, specifically Teamer Rec, has popped up uh, a bit more in the meta share percentage. Um, it is currently sitting as the number one deck, um, according to uh, the Goldfish metagame page. Uh, but it's 
barely like a quarter of a percent above mono green. So they're essentially neck and neck uh, as far as the top decks are concerned. Um, outside of that, all the other decks are the same. It, all the lists have been pretty much been consistent. Um, and there hasn't re- really been too much spice in the 5-0s as I've been kind of looking through them. Um, we just see a lot of the same decks just, you know, getting their wins, getting their time under the sun. And uh, that's really about it. So we're not going to focus too much on the metagame this week. However, we have a lot of big news that actually just happened in the last few days. We are recording on a Wednesday, uh, so the last day day and a half, basically, we've had a bunch of spoilers from Zendikar Rising. And it's definitely exciting because we're going back to Zendikar five years later. And we also got a little peek at the future of Magic, at least the next year. And those sets and things we're kind of looking at seem really interesting, so we'll talk about that too. But let's go into the spoilers first. The biggest thing that I saw and that we all kind of were waiting for, new pathway lands. And these are a six-land cycle, and they come in a split between three enemy and three allied pairings. And essentially, they come in uh, untapped, and they're flip lands. So you choose, for example, you have the River Glide Pathway. That is the is it uh, pathland, um, which is river glide is the island side, and then the lava glide is the mountainside. Uh, one thing I didn't check on these: do these count as uh, their basic counterparts? They do not. They just show that they are lands, and uh, that's it. They don't have the mountain or island okay. types. So I should just say the blue side and the red side. Um, but yeah, that's one example. That's the is it one. And then you just choose which and how they come in. And you just go from there. The pairings are, like I said, is it was the first one. Then you have Orzov. Then you have Demir, Gruul, Selesnia, and Boros is the last one. Um, which the one thing that I immediately thought of when I saw these lands was that we are getting, like I said, three allied pairs. And right now we don't have the allied fast lands. Do these path lands kind of help make these, you know, these strategies that are lacking the aggro decks in particular, uh, lacking the um, the fast lands, do they make these a little bit better? Does like Gruul get better because of this? Having the option of this more flexible land that comes in untapped, which is the biggest thing about these decks. Uh, Adrian, you are the Gruul player here because you play Gruul Pummeler. Does this or this help you? You don't have to run uh, what's it called game trails anymore. Yeah, it's pretty much an auto include. Um, you know, it, any untapped land that comes in, it's going to be great. Uh, and it's it's just an auto four of at least in my deck. But other decks, you know, decks that run check lands, the more mid range and control decks, check lands and fabled passage decks, they're probably not going to want to play these uh, because they can't check off of them and they can't grab them with fabled passage or anything. So it's mostly going to help these aggro decks out, and especially like you were saying, the ones that we don't have the fast lands for already. These are not as good, obviously, but they're a fine replacement, I think. Yeah. Matt, you can be playing these in any of the decks you're playing? Or wait, no, you only play Mono Green, so you're not going to use these at all, right? In Pioneer, I'm not going to use them. I might, you know, I might be funny, just toss four of the the Gruel ones in there and only ever use the green side just because that's the kind of person I am. <laughs> um, but they don't really have a lot of use in the decks I play in Pioneer. 
Now, in modern, if we want to talk about modern for a second, I do play some is it lists. And so I do see myself using the is it version of this because, you know, whenever you're playing more than one color, sometimes you run into a situation where you have all lands of one color and all spells of another. So obviously any way to get around that is helpful. But in Pioneer, no, I don't plan on using these. They're cool, though, and I definitely think that they deserve to be looked at. There are a lot of decks, I think, that could benefit from this. I don't know if I would play them personally in uh, in Modern too much. Um, I mean, certainly not as a four of. Um, they might, if you have the extra land slots to kind of throw in, then maybe. But the biggest downside in um, when what Adrian asked earlier, they don't have the respective typings on them, so they're not fetchable with the fetch lands, and that that feels pretty bad. But yeah, uh, we did get a couple of other. Or when we say we got our three new planeswalkers, although they're not new. They're returning Planeswalkers. They sure are. <laughs> we got Jace, Nahiri, and Nissa, which we knew about that when we saw the um, the artwork released for Zenikar about, what, maybe a month ago now. Um, but we officially have them, and uh, let's just kind of take a look at them. So we have Jace, Mirror Mage, one and two blue, and this is going to be the first Planeswalker ever with a kicker cost. has kicker of two, and it comes in with four loyalty. Um, it says when Jace Mirror Mage enters the battlefield, if Jace was kicked, create a token that's a copy of Jace Mirror Mage, except it's not legendary and starting loyalty is one. And then he has two abilities. His plus one is Scry two. And then he has a zero ability that says draw a card and reveal it. Uh, remove a number of loyalty counters equal to that card's converted mana cost from Jace Mirror Mage. So basically, you can either go three mana, here's Jace, um, you can scry two, or you can, you know, zero to try and, you know, try your luck, draw a card, and it might kill Jace, um, depending on the deck that you're playing him in. Or for five mana, you get Jace Mirror Mage at four loyalty, and a second Jace Mirror Mage at one loyalty. So then you can just kind of, like, let's say, plus uh, on the, the token, get it up to two loyalty, and then zero, like you know, make sure you find the card that you want, whether it's a land, so it doesn't hurt Jace that you can draw it, or it's a lower costed um, card. Then you can zero the main Jace or the original Jace and go and draw a card, which seems seems pretty interesting. Um, Matt, what is your initial thought on this? I like it. Uh, I think what they've been doing with Planeswalkers in the last couple of years, making them more than just two or three loyalty abilities having these static abilities they're adding even though they don't know necessarily how to balance them sometimes i think it's really cool you kind of brought up something interesting the way i interpreted the way i would use jace's kicker would be to make the make the copy use the original jace to scry to pick whichever one i want to draw and then use the token to immediately draw it sacks the token right away but it's a free curated draw on the turn that you scryed it yeah, I've seen a lot of people try to go with that route um, when they're thinking about it. The reason I would go the opposite route is because, um, like, let's say you're looking for a land, um, and then so you're fine with trying to, you know, zero on the main Jace because you're not going to hurt his loyalty. Um, I would rather have two Planeswalkers stick on the board and force my opponent to split their attacks or their ways to or their removal between the two copies or the, the copy and the original Jace. I mean. Um, rather than just immediately lose that token and then say, okay, deal with this Jace now. 
Um, and then they just have one thing to deal with. So the odds of one sticking seems a bit higher. Or they burn more resources to, to get rid of it. Adrian, do you think this is going to see play? Or actually, first off, let me just ask you this. How do you feel about Jace coming back? I, I don't like Jace as a character in the first place. That's just me. That's just... I, I have a bias against Jace. But looking at this card, it also just kind of... The, the power level just kind of reminds me of um, Ixalan Jace. The one that was just, like, not played at all. It, it just seems like we are discussing the ways he can be played, and it's like, if you play him with a kicker, it's a five-mana scry two, draw one. And it's like, mm, I think I would rather play plethora of other cards than that, you know? And without the kicker, it's just the three-mana scry two, you know? We've got cards like, now I play standard just as much as I play Pioneer, so we have other three mana costed Planeswalkers like Mu Yangling, which personally I think is is totally uh, underrated. Uh, that's just my opinion, though. Uh, yeah, I, ju I just see this, and I I'm I'm kind of underwhelmed by the Jace. I like that they're doing something different with the kicker. I like that you know, it's unique, but the power level, I just, at least he's not power creeped, but I don't see him seeing much play in all honesty. Yeah, I, I agree with you, um, actually. Uh, my first thought when I saw this um, was, uh, do you play this over Narset? Like, it's another three-mana Planeswalker that does essentially the same thing in terms of, you know, this Jace is trying to generate card advantage. That's the whole point. And like I said, its ceiling is basically five mana, scry two, draw one. Um, which, if they just gave us a sorcery speed card that said that exact line of text at five mana, it would never be yeah, played. Yeah, draft chat. Yeah. Um, now you could argue then if it was the three mana, scry two, you know, it's different. It's not a one to one ratio of a uh, of a comparison. But yeah, I just think of Narset, and it's like, okay, you have the Iskanta uh, land essentially that ability on a body of a Planeswalker um, that you can do multiple times on turn three. Yeah, I'll put it this way: if I'm playing an aggro deck and I'm playing against some kind of control or mid range, and they drop this Planeswalker, I'm not even bothering with them. At least. If it if it's going out of my way to kill him, I'm probably not bothering with him. But if they drop a Narset, yeah. I'm gonna aim my spellbreaker at that Narset. Yeah, I agree. That that seems about right. Going on to the next planeswalker, we have Nahiri, Heir of the Ancients, which for those of you who watched the spoiler video or not even the spoiler video, the um the trailer for Zendikar, she is the bad guy now i guess i don't know um she she seemed to kill one of her friends kind of like one of those uh, the ends justify the means kind of right. thing so maybe an anti-hero but whatever but we have nahiri she is in her boros colors like always two generic one red and a white so four mana uh, four loyalty planeswalker she has three abilities the first one is plus one Create a 1-1 white core warrior creature token. You may attach an equipment you control to it. Minus two. Look at the top six cards of your library. 
You may reveal a warrior or equipment card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And her minus three is Nahiri, Heir of the Ancients, deals damage to target creature or planeswalker equal to twice the number of equipment you control. So, I mean, my initial reaction is like off the bat, like this seems like a, it seems like a good planeswalker and, and even a powerful planeswalker at that, but it's very niche in what it wants to do. It wants to get equipment on board and it wants to attach equipment to your creatures um, and you can probably do some funny things uh, with a lot of the equipment that we have available. Um, I'm hoping we see more come out in, uh, in Zendikar that kind of help uh, help this out. But yeah, it seems powerful on like in a vacuum, but with everything else going on, all the equipment that we have and stuff like that, the, what the best ones are like, you know, we have Embercleave and Standard and also in Pioneer, obviously. You have the Meme Hammer, uh, Colossal Hammer, which would be really kind of cute to throw onto somebody with this. Um, and uh, actually, I want to kind of backtrack a little bit. On our minus two, what is with all the cards lately? Just saying, look at the top six cards of your library. Yeah, we have Winota doing it. Now here's doing it. Um, I know there are other examples I'm just blanking out on because this this like the multiple uh, uh, another time we've seen this. Yeah, this is like top um, four for a while, and now it's like they're we're doing the top. Yeah. Three. Oh, Muxus was the other one. Muxus was the other one I was thinking of from Jumpstart, the Goblin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then minus three, you know, doesn't hit face, but I feel like it'd be too good of a hit face. So I understand the restriction there. Adrian, I know you're not the biggest fan of Nahiri either. You see, I like Nahiri in theory, and I like that they try to make her a theme, that she has an equipment theme, that she's like a forge master, you know? And I just feel so bad because I feel like every Nahiri just inherently sucks. And, and like, <laughs> like, how often are you seeing equipment decks? Like, oh, I'm gonna like, I get excited when I see a Nahiri preview. I brew an equipment deck. I come in and I get washed by Reclamation. It's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah. they, they try to push these things. It's like, oh, equipment. You can make some meme decks with them, and then it's just like, all right, Jun Minrange just totally blew me out by removing my my creature. You know, so. I yeah. get it. I like Nahiri. It's just, uh, I feel like equipment is never going to be that good of an archetype. And so, inherently, Nahiri's just not that great of a planeswalker. I understand that. I mean, we see Nahiri, the Harbinger, um, or is it Harbinger? Harbinger. I can't read. <laughs> we see Nahiri, the Harbinger, uh, be played in, um, what, the uh, the Niv-Mizzet lists? Or Niv, uh, the Bring Delight, Niv-Delight lists? Uh, but that's the only place in Pioneer we've seen that card pop up. Uh, otherwise, it just doesn't do anything. So I, I agree with you. Nahiri's typically on a lower power level. And uh, that's, that's unfortunate because she's a cool planeswalker, a cool character. She's one of yeah. the pre-mending of Dominaria planeswalkers. She's the one who sealed the uh, Eldrazi away on original Zendikar. It was her, Soren, and Ugin. Yeah, that's that's cool. Ass. Yeah, she's a cool Good character. character. Just... But, I mean, I almost would rather it be this way than have her just be like, you know, Oko 2.0 yeah. or something like that. Or just, I don't, I'd rather her, or I guess to kind of not go to that far of extreme, at least she's not like a Teferi where people are sick of her and hate her. Like, you know, we've talked about Teferi a few times on the cast and, you know, we all have our own opinions of him. I like him as a character. I don't mind the cards, but, you know, when you have all these good Teferis back to back to back, 
um, and standard, people understandably get sick of it. So at least, you know, Nahiri's not in that same boat. Right. I just, uh, I feel like I see her ending up like, um, not, I'm blanking on his name, Calyx. From, from, uh, from Theros, the new one? I, I, yeah. Do you even, have you ever seen him ever? You know, <laughs> we, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that we have a uh, an, a, a green white enchantress player in the uh, in the server. Oh, wow. <laughs> he plays a. Uh, I think he plays a one or two of Galax, um, just because it's it's synergized with the deck and it's it's pretty good in that scenario. But outside of an enchantress deck or enchantment deck, yeah, you don't see it. And it, yeah, I, I agree. And here you might fall in the same way where it's like it's equipment or bust. And you don't do anything more than that. That's kind of, uh, I wouldn't say unfortunate, but, you know, it'd be cool to see something more than that, something a bit more generic that you can go into, um, like other decks. But, granted, if that was the case, we'd be kind of saying, like, oh, it's the same old formula, because, I mean, the last, what, five years? Well, prior to the last couple years, I should say, um, Planeswalkers were always just plus one, either get some kind of card advantage or make something to protect itself minus like three or something to yeah. kill a thing like destroy target creature planeswalker and then ultimate that wins you the game either right then and there or in the next few yeah. turns so at least we're seeing them do something different rather than be like here's the same old planeswalker formula so you know we can't have our cake and eat it too you know right i kind of like how they're well i i like and dislike how they're making a lot of uh, small costed planeswalkers, but I you mean in the uh, like the loyalty abilities? No, like three and four cost. Where we saw a lot of we oh, used okay. to see planeswalkers a lot at like five and six cost. Yeah, um, five was like the standard like planeswalker, and I feel like they're more balanceable at that cost. Like um, the the six cost Liliana, the where she has the plus yeah. and make two zombies. And whenever the world yeah. spark Lily, um, yep. like I enjoyed that Liliana. I thought she's perfectly balanced, you know. And I feel like it's easier yeah. to balance them when they're high cost. So when they're three and four cost, it's really we can we can see hit like Oko, like hit too much or miss with like Calyx, you know. Yeah, I feel like it's just harder yeah, to get that balance when it's lower cost. And like speaking of the, you mentioned like it's harder to balance around like you know three and four mana, and then you know even God forbid in like two mana situations like Ren and Six uh, had its own issues and in, in the respective format that's legal in Legacy and all that good stuff. But um, yeah, one of the recent Planeswalkers we had from M twenty one was Liliana Waker of the Dead, and on spoiler season everyone was like this is unplayable. It's four mana. That's way too much. It, this should be three mana or whatever. But in practice that we've seen it be played now, it's actually, you know, it's not broken or meta defining by any means, but it is a very good planeswalker. And we've seen that it's popped up in decks and pioneer. It's had, it's had some success even in modern, um, albeit not as much, but still it's been able to pull its own weight and be a good planeswalker where now we're looking at it and going like, you know, like just like to your point, uh, Adrian, it's harder to balance. If she was three mana, you probably have a lot of people complaining and be right. like, Oh my God, this is just, this is just straight up broken. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. It's really hard to kind of find that, that balance. Um, Matt, or is this Nahiri going to make you want to brew a, uh, 
a Hammer Time deck in Pioneer? Well, people who know me know that if I can make any deck work, it's going to be Boros Artifacts. So I am super excited for Nahiri. I don't think that, and like you said, unless we get some other stuff that really synergizes well with her in Zendikar, I don't know that it's viable quite yet, but I'm still holding out hope that one day I will be able to play Boros Artifacts in Pioneer, and this is a good step in that direction. I, I actually really like this Planeswalker. Well, I mean, I know you liked uh, the vehicle aspect the most. You mentioned that vehicle is one of your favorite all-time uh, mechanics. Vehicle, vehicle is my absolute all-time favorite mechanic. So, can you afford to play vehicles in a deck like this? Like, does it kind of conflict, or do you think that they can synergize with equipment? I think that if you're going to build around Nahiri, it's gonna ha- you're going to have to not play vehicles. You can maybe get away with a two or a three of a, like a heart of Kieran, especially if you're running Nahiri. But I don't yeah. think you're gonna. I don't think you're gonna go vehicle heavy. I think you're gonna go more into like, like you said, the colossal hammer, or colossus hammer. I can't remember which it is, and then just other good value equipment to make value creep better. No, that makes sense. But I mean, I I, I try to be focused to a fault, I guess, in my deck building going one or the other like i think i was still kind of lean towards either all in on vehicles or all in on equipment i i don't like to mix um you know game plans too much but that that's just me that's why i mentioned heart of kieran specifically is because heart of kieran synergizes with every planeswalker since you can get yeah, right. Kieran with a loyalty counter which is why i'm saying that might be the exception to this deck but like you're not going to play sky sovereign in this deck no, as much as I would love to play Sky, uh, Sky Sovereign in every deck possible. <laughs> um, we have one other Planeswalker, though, and that is Nissa of Shadowed... Is it Bogs or is it Bows? It's Bows. Bows. So I, I watched the Saffron Olive uh, or the Goldfish one. He kept saying Boros or whatever, and I'm like, there's no R in there, Seth. Stop. Like, please. <laughs> uh, so Nissa... She has a static ability, but it's Landfall. So Landfall's back. Hooray. Uh, Was there ever any doubt? Uh, So four mana, two black, and a green. She's a four loyalty planeswalker. Landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, put a loyalty counter on Nyssa. Plus one. Untap target land you control, you may have it become a 3-3 elemental creature with haste and menace until end of turn, it's still a land. Minus 5. You may put a creature card with converted mana costs less than or equal to the number of lands you control onto the battlefield from your hand or graveyard with two plus one plus one counters on it. I think this card is awesome. I think it's the best of the three. Yeah. Yeah. It's another good Nissa, but I want to say, Adrian, she is not the War of the Spark, you know, Nissa who shakes the world. She's not that broken by any means. I won't even say she's broken. I just think she's really, really good. The biggest thing is the plus one, it's only a 3-3 land until the end of turn. It's not going to stick around forever like uh, the War of the Spark. That's Nissa. true. Right, it's it, that. That's more like the uh, oh, I don't remember what set it's from. This is a vital force where it becomes five five. Yes. Until the turn. Right. Yep. Also, notice that it doesn't get countered. It just be three three until the turn, which is actually kind of a big difference when you're talking about cards that can add 
move talent based on how many they already have. Yeah, like, Whereas, um, what's it called? Shakes... Right. Like Heartless Act? Right. Whereas Nissa, who shakes the world, your land is targetable by Heartless Act because it, it's a zero zero with three plus one plus one counters on it. So, it, so this land dodges Heartless Act. But yeah, her and her minus five is super good. Uh, it's a very good ability that you can you can achieve it the turn she comes down. So let's say let's say you're ramping right into her or whatever, um, or or you haven't played your land for turn. I guess the the best way would be like if you get her down and then you go ahead and play like a fable passage. So fable passage comes down, makes her up to five. Then you crack it, get a land. Now she's up to six. You can minus five right away, and you're good. I feel like this is kind of the rich get richer because she slots right into like soul time ramp. Like at least if we're looking at standard, yeah, that's one of the most popular decks. And even I mean, even Pioneer, like Soul Time Ramp is seeing a little bit of play. This just slots right into there. I, I feel like I feel like it's immediately in that in contention for their four drop slot. Like imagine playing this and then a cultivate, and then boom, you can already use her second ability. Yeah. And I think this can actually, um, I know like the Soul Tide Delirium list and Pioneer play a handful of Planeswalkers, usually as like a one-of here and there. Um, this could easily slot in as a, as a, as a one-of Planeswalker that just, you just, if you top deck it, that's cool. It's pretty good. Um, so I think that will slot pretty nicely into the Soul Tide Delirium list as a, just a one-of. And you have to keep in mind, the reason that Delirium can kind of lean more into Planeswalkers now is because you have Othanissa unbanned. And that's just a great card in that deck regardless. So it kind of felt bad to play Planeswalkers too much in those kind of lists um, because you're a, your tutor for Delirium. Um, oh, God. Matt, help me out. What is it called? Um, uh, oh, mis- not Mystical Tutor. No, it's the the Uvenwald or whatever. Yeah, uh, I can't remember the name of it. Well... I'm really so for those of you who haven't figured it out listening to this podcast yet, I don't know names of cards. I know what they do. <laughs> I know the picture. Picture does yeah, things. Ex- honestly, when I'm playing my decks, I don't even look at the names. I look at the picture and I know what they do. I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, traverse the Uvenwald. Uh, that's what yeah, it is. That 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 is the name of it. Yes. Um, so yeah. You you can't tutor a planeswalker with it. It's only when you have delirium, you can only go get a creature, any land. Mm-hmm. Um, so having ability to have Oath and Nissa be be flexible to grab planeswalkers too, and fix your mana for those planeswalkers, um, that's a big deal. So I think that is a nice home for this deck, uh, as I... well as the that Gruel Stompy list that really only played black for the sideboard cards and Rotting Registrar and then like Coco. Um, you could see some other kind of gruel aggro uh, list. No, I'm sorry, not gruel. Um, Golgari. Um, yeah, the Golgari one. I think you could see another variation of that, or some even trying slotting this in. That seems like a pretty good home. Um, it's it's aggressive. It it beats face. If you get her to enough loyalty, you just minus and you resurrect a creature that your opponent was able to remove, or drop something from your hand for free. That, that's a big deal. I think that's a great home for it, too. I do worry that this card does make Uro maybe a little too good now. Because oh, if, you play, if you pair this with Uro, 
you can cat you can cast this card play your land for turn now she's at five cast okay. an earl from your hand now she and drop an extra land now she's at six then you can alt her to bring the earl back and now she now play another land and now she's at seven or now now she's at two after ulting the turn she came down and she's already mm-hmm. back and you've played well, three lands in a single turn yes but that's hard uh to do um, in that sense, it's it's easier and more achievable for the idea of like the fickle passage thing, like basically playing her a turn later or like playing her like quote unquote on curve for turn four, if you're ramping in with like mana dorks, and then still have that ability to drop the land per turn or four turn, uh, because with Uro, yeah, that's a possibility, but that's a possibility in the sense of like late game where you have. Um, like seven or eight mana available at your disposal, and then you drop her, and then you Uro with the extra mana, and then you know you go off from there, like you said. But on curve, turn four or turn three, if you're ramping, uh, it you're not gonna be able to do that. So that that why I'm not too worried about that scenario as much. But it's definitely a possibility, and you know I agree with you there. I would say it it can be a possibility in certain decks because. And she's not mono green, so this won't happen in the mono green decks. But mono green can easily make 9 to 12 mana on turn 3 or 4. It would be very easy to pull this off on turn 3 or 4 in a deck that ramps as hard as mono green does. And I do worry that that's going to make Earl a little too overpowered in those decks. We'll see. Um... We'll see. I, I have to say, though, because I know we've been talking a lot about the Planeswalkers themselves, Nissa. I'll go on the record. I've said it before. Nissa, who shakes the world, is my favorite card ever printed. And Nissa, as a character, is my favorite character in the sort of mythos of magic. She's always has been. I know most people say Jace is their favorite. I've always been more partial to Nissa. So I'm really yeah. happy to see yet another decent Nissa that's not busted, but is good. And hopefully we'll get some more lore with her when, when Zendikar, we get the full set and we get to see what all the lore is. And I think out of the, the three planeswalkers we got, she's far and away the the best one. I feel. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because she can slot into so many different decks. It's not like it, the other two feel pretty narrow where you're going to be playing them. She is the one that when you look at the three, she's the one that you go, yeah, that one's going to be played. Yeah. Whereas Nahiri, you won't see much play. Jace is kind of a niche planeswalker. This one's going to see, I think, a lot of play. And I think we might even see color decks that don't normally run green or run black. They run one or the other. They might start splashing the other color to run this Planeswalker. I know I've considered modifying my mono green list to run a little bit of black to play this. I agree with you. She's definitely the best. Definitely the best walker. Um, we're getting a reprint of Lotus Cobra. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Lotus Cobra was a, uh, was a mythic back in World Wake. Uh, one in a green, two one snake has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, add one mana of any color. So, really good card. Really flexible. A cool... Uh, the ceiling is really high for the for the abilities he has um, uh, as far as mana production. Um, so we'll see where it goes. I think it might have a home in Winota. Uh, it feels like it could. It helps ramp. Um, it might be a bit awkward because you want to go into Mana Dork on one, then turn two, play like a one of your three drops that makes dorks, like your Legion War Boss or Ravel Master and things like that. Um, and then go into Winota, turn three. 
This one, it's kind of like you go into a dork, then you go Lotus Cobra, and they kind of don't do much for us the turn. So it might not be as good as I think, but that was my first thought. Um, otherwise, uh, maybe we'll see a Land Matters deck kind of pop up with extra landfall cards. Uh, but it's a it's a good card. I think it's really cool. Um, happy to see it downshifted from a Mythic to a Rare, though. Otherwise, we have... Now, this is a, another green card. It's a Mythic that I definitely want to talk with you guys about real quick. Ashaya, Soul of the Wild. Three and two green. Star, star on, uh, on the uh, power and toughness. Legendary creature, elemental. Ashaya, Soul of the Wild's uh, power uh, and toughness are equal to the number of lands you control. Non-token creatures you control are forest lands in addition to their other types. So your creatures now trigger landfall when they come in, which is crazy. Um, and Ashaya just gets big the more lands you get down. Um, where do you guys think this is going to pop up in Pioneer, if anywhere? This is going into mono green for sure. This card... Hmm just synergizes with every other card in mono green. Now your non-dorks are still dorks. Yeah, yeah. I think I agree with that. <clears throat> I mean, she's a little expensive on the five drop side, but the she's definitely worth it if you find the right build. Well, the thing with her being expensive on the five drop side, because mono green runs Nissa who shakes the world, and it's also been running Wolf Willow Haven lately, those both make forest tap for extra mana, and since all of your creatures now become forest, you tap two creatures after you play her, there's your mana right back. It can be a dork, it could even be a burning tree emissary, it doesn't matter. You, she makes your creatures, assuming you have the correct board state when she enters, which in mono green you most likely will unless you're playing against a control shell. You're probably going to have a Nissa on the board, so you're at least tapping all of your creatures for two. You know, now you're talking about, we've talked about before how Mono Green has no problems making as much mana as they want. Now they have access to even more. I think this is going to be, if a card is going to bust Mono Green open, this is the card. It feels a teeny bit win more, but I mean, now if you think about it, Mono Green is the win more deck. Mm -hmm. So they have all the mana to kind of go with. Uh, she's double green, so two pips for um, uh, Nykthos. That's, that's always good. And uh, yeah, that, like, I, I think you're right. Seems really good. There's two other mythics I want to talk about real quick, and then we'll move on to the new mechanics. We have Drana, the last blood chief. Three and two black, five mana, four, four legendary creature, uh, vampire cleric. She has flying. Whenever Drana, the last blood chief, attacks, defending player chooses a non-legendary creature in your graveyard. You return that card to the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it. The creature is a vampire in addition to its other types. I think this card's sweet. I'm going to say that right off the bat. Um, I think it has the Doom Whisper fallacy issue to it, where it's, you know, a cool five-mana flying creature that's, you got to deal with it, but it doesn't do anything when it enters, which yeah. always makes me sad about <laughs> these kind of cards. Um, granted, we said the same thing about Eldor Gargaroth from M21, <laughs> but... At least that one has the ability to trigger on block um, as well as attacking, so it can kind of do something in a half turn that it comes in. Um, but that one's a, been showcased as a really great sideboard card for certain matchups. So the card that the decks and the matchups you bring it in against are the ones where you are pretty confident they can't deal with it anyway, i.e., Mono Red or like Boros Burn, things like that. Where Drana, I mean, 
it doesn't seem like a cyborg card doesn't seem like it has that flexibility to come in in certain matchups so it just feels like something you're trying to build around essentially which whenever that's the kind of card it ends up being that's where this lack of you know effect on the board on the t- on the turn it comes in uh is the biggest downside of this card matt what do you think about this one so i like this card but i think i like this for a different reason than a lot of people do i like to play very janky decks even maybe decks that aren't good but are really just fun to play and mm-hmm. so my first thought when i saw this card is i want to build a deck where the whole strategy is to just throw every good creature you can into your graveyard as quick as possible and then play this card and let your opponent choose how you're going to kill them. That was sort of my first thought of, like, that is a deck I want to play. I don't know how well this card is going to do. I think it'll do fine. It's pretty good. I like it for the jank. I think it'll also be good in just meta decks. I don't know. It probably fits pretty well into mono black aggro. Maybe. Um, I mean, it's something they still have to deal with. It doesn't have recursiveness built in necessarily for itself but it does help recur other things but i think when you already have so many creatures that already can bring themselves back from the yard regardless um it might be a it might literally be the win more thing we're talking about with um yeah this Uh, one's fun because you're playing the mental game with your opponent of okay now you get to choose what i'm going to beat you down with instead of me choosing yeah. Which I love playing mental games with my opponent. It's one of my favorite things to do in Magic is play mental games. So it's like, okay, I have Uro in the yard. I have, I'm trying to think of just really good cards. It's like, I have all these great cards. Now go ahead and choose. How am I going to beat you? The flip side of that is uh, usually giving your opponent the choice of something is uh, one of the worst things you can do in Magic. Um, Karn, um the uh, Urza of Scion or whatever uh, was a uh, was a card that was played in standard for its uh, its life, but that's it. What about Atreus, the mirror card? Can you remind me what that one does again? You uh, opponent takes the top three and puts them into two thought tiles. Uh, yeah, from Theros. Yeah, that one's. Amazing. I think that one's a. Yeah, that one's a little bit different in the sense that it did because it digs three cards, right? Um, and it's the so either way you're it's a little bit harder to play mind games with where a card like um karn you just plus and it's like here's two cards one's a land one's a really good card obviously you're not going to give me the uh the, the yeah. good card and yeah you can minus and grab something with a silver counter on it and stuff like that so we can get that card back anyway but it 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 stalls for a turn is the problem with that which is why it doesn't see playing in like pioneer for example the other one I'm thinking of that gives your opponent a choice, and you have a sort of double edge, is Gifts Ungiven in Storm and Modern, where you choose four and then your opponent chooses two for you to keep, which sees quite a bit of play in Storm, in Gift Storm specifically. So, I mean, it's not like there's not precedent for giving choices. And if you curate it, it doesn't matter what choice. Yeah. The difference, though, between the. Um... The cards you and Adrian brought up versus, like, my example of Karn is giving the choice of just, like, two things or so um, is much worse than having the option of, like, here are several things, make two piles, I get a lot of stuff regardless. And yeah, sure, you can kind of argue that Drana does something similar because it's like, here's my entire graveyard, pick a thing, 
And if it's all bombs, then yeah, what is your opponent going to do? But the problem with the deck building aspect of this card then is if you just make everything with all bombs, then how are you going to cast them all? Because they're all going to be big and you know, highly costed. So you probably want to play things that fill your uh, your graveyard, like Stitcher Supplier, um, Meyer Triton, um, or other like instant speed stuff, or like uh, you know, some, something to mill you and kind of help you get there and fill your yard to fuel Draina and make her better. But then they can just take one of your lesser, like, quote-unquote dorks, basically, with your Citrus Supplier or things like that, and bring that out with the reanimation ability rather than one of your bombs. So it creates this weird balance where it's, it's, it's a, a hard and awkward uh, deck-building restriction, as well as not having an effect on entry. Um, like I said, I think this card's cool. I just think it's going to see much play as far as constructed is concerned. It just doesn't do enough on entry, doesn't alter the board state, and it's uh, it's easy to play around, I think, from your opponent, because either you're, you know, f- bricking uh, with all these huge mana-costed cards in your hand and no way to play them, or you're filling your yard with them, but also getting the lesser cards that help fuel the yard along the way in there, too, that your opponent can just pick. That's why I said I don't think this deck would be very good. It would just be something where that one in ten games where it just goes off correctly is just super fun to play. Yeah. Um, last myth I want to talk about, then we're going to move on to a different little topic and kind of shelve spoilers for, for now. There's a lot of cards to talk about, obviously, and we want to be able to get to all of them, but we don't want to uh, leave Alex out of this um, as well. And like I said, we're going to save a lot of these cards for the full reveal where we'll kind of talk about our favorite cards and our top 10 cards as well from the set uh, in the next couple weeks when Alex gets back. Um, but the last myth I want to talk about is Amiria's Call. Now, we talked about these lands uh, earlier, the path lands, how they can flip from one side to the other. Um, that's part of this mechanic called the, uh, the dual modal uh, cards, is what they're calling it. Um, not the most elegant mechanic name, but... It is what it is. Not only do we have cards like these lands that are just, you know, choose one color or the other, we have these ones that have a spell on one side and then a tap land on the other side. So it can be either an early game, just land if you need it, or a late game bomb spell. The majority of them that we've seen haven't been that great. There's a Valakut uh, Awakening. Um, Three mana, two and a red, instant speed. Put any number of cards from your hand on the bottom of your library, then draw that many cards plus one. So a much better um, mallet, basically. Magical mallet from Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and then the other side is a tap, you know, uh, red uh, land, which is cool. So it, that one's kind of flexible. Um, and then all the other ones aren't nearly as good for the most part. But there's this one. I just saw it. Amiria's Call. Four and three white. So seven mana. And this is a mythic. Sorcery speed. Create two four four white angel warrior creature tokens with flying. Non-angel creatures you control gain indestructible until your next turn. And the other side is just a tap white land. Um, I love the flavor of this card, though. It's like you're bringing in the reinforcements from the literal heavens and you're having these angels come in and help your army and they're 
basically blessing your entire army and giving them all indestructible and the way to fight and stuff like that. And you have these two big angels kind of helping you. Um, that's cool. Uh, it seems like a bulk mythic, though. <laughs> the, 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 land, the flexibility of the land is really cool. Um, and it, it, it's the perfect representation of what this new mechanic does. Um, it's either, you know, a seven mana card that you can't cast early game. Oh, but by the way, I can make it a land. Cool. I can still make use of that card. Or you have the mana later on to be able to cast it and get this really cool bomby style card. The problem is it's seven mana. It's triple white. Uh, so you're basically just going to be playing this in a mono white deck, like aggro deck or something like that. Um, or like a beat down plan or maybe a two color deck because the restriction on the cost is really, really hard. And on top of that, the angels don't come with haste. Um, yeah, all your creatures get indestructible until your next turn, which is really great. Don't get me wrong, but you're probably dead. I mean, there are better anthem effects, right? There are better things to either pump your team or like you play unbreakable formation to give them indestructible. It can be reactive rather than proactive. Um, and on top of that, if this feels the best in an aggro kind of show, seven mana is a lot for that kind of deck. I don't think you're ever going to really cast it. And you should, your opponent should be dead before you cast it. Um, yeah, either of you have any thoughts on this card? I just want to bring it up because I just saw it, and it's really cool and flavorful, but obviously a bulk mythic, I think. Yeah, it, it seems a little too... Uh, as if it were supposed to be a control finisher, but then it focuses on creatures, so... so yeah. It reminds me of Safara, the... Yeah, yeah, but at least that one has, like, pseudo-convoke, right? Yeah, but you had to have five flyers already on the board. Yeah. But um, if we're still talking about these uh, flip, the half-spell, half-land cards... um, Yep. Remember, Adrian, modal dual Modal dual dual. Dual cards, or dual flip, whatever. It, uh, <laughs> see, I'm even messing it up. That's how horribly marketed this mechanic <laughs> is by Wizards. Yeah. Um, I just saw one that was actually a Spanish spoiler, uh, if I'm looking at Mythic spoiler. It's an instant mm. one red. Um, Spike Field Risks. Spike Field Risks deals one damage to any target. If a permanent that was dealt damage this way it dies this turn, exile it instead. So... A okay. big Uro wash, a big anti-Uro yeah. card for red, and it's it's great because it's got a tapped land on the other side, so it actually has some use. It does. I'm looking at it right now. It says any target, so that's nice. It hits planeswalkers or things like that too, and it can hit face. Um, but is Magma Spray still better? This card. You see, I was thinking that, but. This can also help exile planeswalkers that die. Like a, a planeswalker that is, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Magma Spray only hits creatures, right? That is correct. So, I mean, you're sacrificing not one damage, but you're being able to hit planeswalkers and exile them with this. And it's also got a land as its other half. So. I'm sorry. So, I'm on Mythic Spoiler as well. And you know how they have like the Facebook comments on it? Yeah. <laughs> Someone said, someone said, with Torbrain and Standard, Bolt is back, baby. And <laughs> I love it. I think that's just, okay. I, that's funny. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, Bolt is back. <laughs> Bolt is back, baby. It's here. Um, yeah, so there was one other thing that I wanted to bring up about Zendikar, though. We have one other mechanic called the party mechanic. And... Party! Party! <laughs> yeah. Um, it It's really cool, and I like the flavor, um, but let me go back. Essentially, the party mechanic is you have to have one of each of these kind of creatures, a wizard, a warrior, a cleric, and a rogue, um, like a D&D party. And uh, if you have those, you get a bonus for each one that you have, essentially. Like it, re- it redu- uh, reduces the cost of a card and things like that. Um, it just, like for example, there's this one, Deadly Alliance. It's four and a black. The spell costs one less to cast for each creature in your party. Destroy target creature or planeswalker. On the top end in the ceiling, it's a one mana kill anything or planeswalker. Um, that's really, really good. But then again, you need to have four creatures out individually, one of each of these respective types. And is that just, it just seems win more. I know we keep bringing this up. We keep talking about this with some of these cards, but that this whole mechanic seems win more to me. Um, And on top of that, we'll get into this in a second, but wizards did spoil or showcase next year that we're getting a full fledged standard legal set. That's an entire D and D crossover. Why wasn't this in that set? I mean, they might bring it back. It might, they might just have party again um, for next year uh, to be like, you know, we have more party cards. Cool. And it might make the mechanic better, which, you know, I'm fine with, I guess. But if that's not the case and they don't bring back party for the D&D set, why is this not there? This feels like it should be in that set, right? Yeah, totally agree. And don't know really what their uh, uh, train of thought was here. Uh, maybe they just saw that they designed a bunch of rogues and warriors and and mages and we're like, let's throw clerics and rangers in too, and make a party yeah. mechanic. I don't know. I, I was having a discussion about this with somebody on the server earlier today, and they brought up a good point, which I think is probably the most logical reason why they did this, which is introduce the mechanic now to get people used to it, and then in the D&D set, they'll drop a bunch of cards that have this that are useful in this mechanic but introduce the mechanic now sort of get it spinning in people's brains that this is a mechanic that exists so that when D&D the D&D set comes out it's already there and people don't have to try to figure out this new mechanic on the fly because I have a feeling this is going to be the big mechanic in the D&D set I mean this is a D&D mechanic I don't yeah. I'd be shocked if it wasn't which I still think they dropped the ball a little bit. I think if you're going to introduce a mechanic based around Dungeons and Dragons, it should start in the Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. I do I do and I love Dungeons and Dragons. I'm happy we're getting a Dungeons and Dragons set. I love this mechanic. I'm a little sad that they didn't include druids in here because druids is also another thing in D&D that you could possibly throw in there. Maybe they'll errata it or thing. We'll see. But I doubt they'll errata it. That, 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 that's not what they're... I mean, they, <laughs> they were hesitant to do that with Companion. They just add every uh, class. Warlocks and Bards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. I think that this is a 
I think this was a bad move to introduce it in Zendikar. I don't think Zendikar is the place for this to be introduced. I think it's the place if we were not getting the D&D set, which they knew about. Because Zendikar has been the land matter set, but also the quote-unquote adventure set, which is the closest thing to a D&D set we've, our D&D plane, we've had throughout Magic history. So I'm fine with it existing in this set in the spirit of it being like the pseudo D&D without being D&D set. But the problem I have is the fact that they're like, hey, by the way, here is the D&D set. So that's where my confusion is. It's like they know it's there. And I, I, I guess it has to be what Matt's saying. That's the only way that makes sense. They're testing the waters. They, they designed like a thousand cards all about this party mechanic. And they're like, well, we can't put all of these obviously into into this uh, D&D set. So let's introduce it first in the car and kind of go from there um, and, you know, bring it back for D&D. But if that's not the case and they don't end up doing that, that's just, it's going to blow my mind. If if D&D, by the time it comes out next year, does not feature party as a mechanic, I'll be horribly disappointed and just flat out shocked, to be honest. But speaking of which, we know about this D&D set because Wizards laid out their 2021 roadmap and their release schedule. So, in the winter, for our January set, we're getting a brand new plane, Kaldheim. Or is it Kaldheim? It's a Viking set. So, we're getting, for the first time ever, and one of the most popularly requested you know, sets or plane ideas for Magic's history is a Viking set. And I am super excited. I'm a little bit biased because I love new planes more than anything. I get more excited about that kind of stuff. Like this year, I was excited about Ikoria when they revealed it, the roadmap for this year's set release, more than any other set. Um, Ikoria was ultimately disappointing to me because they even admitted this in their blog a while back on like what they learned about the year that they provided some mixed messages for what Ikoria was. Some people kind of took it as a big monster set battling each other, where that's it was about the mutate mechanic and making monsters, so they didn't quite create the right expectations. But anyway, so we have Kaldheim. We have a Time Spiral remastered set coming out. This doesn't really affect Pioneer too much. I don't think there's really going to be that many, if any, Pioneer legal cards Is in here. Is for historic um, and like modern reprints? Basically, yeah, for modern and legacy. So you have like Chalice of the Void and things like that. But the biggest thing about this set is they're bringing back old borders for a lot of the cards, which I think is super cool. And I would love to see them do in other sets as well that are actually standard legal. Because, um, I mean, maybe this is a way to, like, a, you know, the same thing with the party mechanic, hopefully. They're testing the water to see how it's received. And then maybe they'll kind of throw it into a standard legal set later on. But, you know. Not Pioneer-specific, but definitely really cool. The next one is Strixhaven School of Mages. Basically, it is a Hogwarts, not Harry Potter-type, you know, magic-related set. That actually sounds exciting. Yeah, I think the, the concept is really cool. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Adrian, it was, what, there's there going to be five different schools or whatever that meet up together for, like, a competition or something? Yeah, I, I just feel like it's going to be... Like each color has their own school, you know, and uh, all the mages are gonna <laughs> represent that color, you know. Like blue ones are really smart, and 
the black ones is like death and necromancy and the red ones like fire and the white ones the green ones are super strong and edgy yeah. and well actually the black ones would be the edgy no, ones no the green ones uh, are all about just the, the jocks and, and then white just sucks yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the white school they sucks suck. that's their thing they suck <laughs> oh my god um and then the next one is, like we said, the D&D Adventures in the Forgotten Realm set. So I don't think it's going to have this entire title as it. I think it just says D&D, like Dungeon, Dungeons and Dragons, just to let you know that that's what this set is. I think the main thing will say Adventures of the Forgotten Realm. Granted, I, I, I'm probably wrong in that now, now that I say that out loud, because what better marketing chances to have D&D slapped on a magic pack? Yeah, uh, so the Forgotten Realms is actually a D&D campaign. Yeah, it's uh, one of the more popular yeah. ones, right? So I, I don't know if it's just going to be set kind of in that campaign setting and include stuff from that campaign setting, or if they're going to go in. That seems about what they would yeah. do. Um, it makes the most sense. I've seen people being like, oh, it kind of feels forced, it feels cheesy, and I'm like, they've been shoving magic lore into D&D as like campaign sets for years now, and people love those sets. So, you know, being able to have a a um a campaign set in like, you know, Ravnica and things like that. Um people really like that. I know D- uh, Adrian, you're the the bigger D&D player here. Uh Matt, do you play at all? I think you played a little bit. I play No, I play a lot. Oh, okay, so I'm the one who's the the, the pleb here. I don't play D and D pretty much at all, but yeah. So I think this is cool. I mean, I don't know what you guys think about the D and D thing. Um, do you guys think it's gonna be really interesting? I I think it'll be fun to look at. I don't even like D and D that much. Yeah. If there's a set next year that I'm gonna shove my money into, it's gonna be this one simply for the fact that it's D and D. I've been playing D and D longer than I've been playing any trading card game. Yeah. Um, the next one is uh, Modern Horizons 2, which we have confirmation that the enemy fetch lands will be in these packs, in the actual boosters. You can get them out of there. So we finally have a real, genuine fetch land repr- uh, reprint. It's not a standard legal set or a $4 pack like people want it to be. It's going to be a $15 pack or whatever Modern Horizons end up being. Is that about what the prices was on those? Were they like $8, $9? Y'all remember? They were they were somewhere. I think it depended a little bit on where you went, but I remember getting them for about $10. But that okay. was all years ago in inflation. Well, roughly $10. It's, it's more expensive than a standard pack. So, And lastly, we have a double release set in Estrad. We're going back. We have an Innistrad werewolf set and an Innistrad vampire set. So it seems like they're going to have two separate releases, to, and they said they're two full uh, sets on their own, respectively. So we're getting essentially a fifth set next year that's going to be standard legal. So that's going to make rotation interesting. It's going it, to it's going to make for uh, a really weird standard, I think. Um, and uh, I'm going to say it now, 2021, I'm sorry, 2022, uh, Mono Black Vampires and Pioneer finally tier zero. <laughs> They're finally going to get there um, thanks to this uh, vampire set. But, um, you know, I was, cool. 
I was looking through the spoilers earlier today, and it didn't just click until now when we went through the sets one by one. Next year actually has a theme. They're theming the whole year on fantasy because Harry Potter, which is obviously what the the Academy set is based off of, is is fantasy. D&D is fantasy. Werewolves and Vampires is pretty fantastical. Like Next year actually has a theme for the first time in a couple of years where the whole year has a theme. Yeah. I mean, Innistrad was the original quote-unquote fairy tale-ish kind of set without it being actually fairy tales. It was more kind of based off of... um like the Grimm's idea, uh, before we got Eldraine. So, yeah, I agree. That's going to be really cool. Um, the Viking set, I mean, I mean, is pretty much fantasy as well. Um, yeah. That one is the, the hardest one to fit into it, but I think you could still say that's fantasy. Because when you're going to see Thor in <laughs> oh, and Odin. Oh, my God. And they're not going to call him Thor or Odin. It's going to be like how we have Hakdos, oh. which is a killer. We're literally just going to get Loki the trickster. <laughs> he's gonna be the new jace they want to do this but i think it'd be really cool if we just got a one-off planeswalker like a one-off planeswalker for each of the norse gods and goddesses when they did the viking they're not gonna do it but i think that'd, that'd be cool yeah or even just like take planeswalkers that already exist like jace and nissa in them and just like morph them into these gods and goddesses that exist give them a skin like it's league of legends or smite or something <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Like you, like, could you imagine Jace with like a big man beard and <laughs> an eye over his eye, and he's Jace the the All Father? We we've already gotten sexy Jace from Mixalon. We don't need another sexy Jace. Let's not do that. <laughs> um, I will say though, have an idea. This is the perfect set. To bring Oko back and be balanced. I feel like Oko kind of fits into that. Uh, I can see Oko in a Norse kind of idea. Like he, if any, if I, I don't know if either of you have watched Vikings, um, like the TV show that's from uh, the History Channel. Um, he can kind of kind of fit that Floki kind of role. Floki's one of the characters, and he's kind of wacky and like whatever. Is, um, he, is he just meant to be Loki? That's no, his name's just Floki. No, that's not the <laughs> joke. It's just it that's just the name. Um I mean they they talk about Loki the trickster god and how awful he is and stuff like that. Like Loki's like basically Satan as far as the show is concerned. Oh, he's yeah. He's the god of lies. Loki's trying to trick you and uh re- release um uh the the, the damn dog. Cerberus? I don't remember. No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. No, no, no it's not. No, no, no. Fenrir. 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 The wolf. Fenrir. Fenrir. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a great show. If anyone hasn't watched it, please go watch it. But um, yeah, that's the slate next year for, for 2021. Um, which one are you guys most excited for out of these? Uh, are, you, are you asking other than the D&D set? Because I'm pretty sure we both said uh, the D&D uh, yeah, yeah, you did. You did. Other than the D and D set, I, I, uh, I guess other. I'm really looking forward to the um, the wizard one. I think that has a lot of potential. I want to see mm-hmm. them do something unique with the color pie. And uh, beyond just like black as death and greener yeah. talks or nature lovers, yeah, yeah. 
I that you're I agree that one has certainly the most potential, but it also has the lowest floor as far as creativity goes because they could easily just go with that route. They're like, "Yep, black mage is like necromancy. Yeah. That's what this school's all about." Um, or maybe they go into there's five different schools. Uh, but I mean, it's, it feels too on the nose to be five different schools and have them all fall into the one color. What are their color pairings? And they bring back like a guildish style thing. Or what if they bring back, um, they won't do shards because they just did that for, um, or no, what do they do the opposite shards that we had um, for, uh, which ones did we get for Ikoria? It was Mardu, Soltai, Jeskai, um, Abzan, and um, Teamer. What was the last one? Teamer. So what do they just do the other, the other five? For the uh, for yeah, these that'd schools, be cool. I think I mean bring back shards. Um, and what if they complete the the Triland cycle here? Granted, we still don't have the bicycle uh, cycle yet done. Um, uh, from uh, Amonkhet. I feel like but, it would uh, be cool if they were all, they all specialized in a different type of card, like one's an enchantment school. Oh, that'd be cool. Oh, that would be really cool. Yeah. Creature yeah. Uh, school, and they're like uh, summoning creatures. Gonna, that, I don't know that that would work with draft, because if you draft all enchantments, how do you ever win? Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, they'd have to bring back enchantment creatures, I think. Um, but would that feel out of place out of, like, Theros? No, it wouldn't. I, I like that. I actually really like Repeat that, Matt. You cut out. I said I actually really like that idea of like green is like the creature school and black the enchantment school. Although I think white would probably be the enchantment school. Yeah, I can see black being like artifact. No, blue would probably be artifacts. Blue would be artifact. I think black would be sorcery and red would be instant. Yeah, I can see that. Hmm. Or better yet. This would be a great opportunity if they went with that route that you're saying, Adrian, to introduce a brand new permanent type for oh. one of the schools. Yeah, but then which which permanent type that we already have gets the shaft? I mean, it, that I mean, you, well, you got you just said instant sorceries would be black and red. So I mean, they're all going to have access to instant sorceries. I think we have to fill those two slots with actual permanents that stick or, to the board. Or what if we make colorless a color? and put artifacts in the colorless, and then that frees up blue for this new type. We're going way down the rabbit hole of speculation. Yeah, I, we'll certainly be talking about this for the next few months as we, as we wait for it. Um, yeah, I think, I think you've swayed me. Um, originally, looking at this list, I was the least excited for Strixhaven, but now that I think of the possibilities that they can go with it, I'm hyping myself up, and I'm probably the most excited now. <laughs> Caldheim was the one that I was most excited for originally, because new plane. Granted, Strixhaven is technically a new plane, but the fact that it's a school-centered thing, where it's like all these, you know, different places, like a, like Hogwarts, essentially. like It's like the Goblet of Fire and all that. Um, it doesn't feel like a plane to me. It feels like a like a halfway house, if that makes sense. Right, it's it's just like Strixhaven is inside Dominaria. Like I could see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Um, but yeah, the, that I, that's the year. That's what we're having in twenty twenty one. I wanted to, I wanted to say that because I didn't get a chance to. I actually think mm-hmm. Harry Harry Potter's Haven set is the one I'm least excited for. 
because I'm really worried it's just going to end up being really bad Harry Potter fan fiction. <laughs> God. I, I, I would say, I actually would say I'm tied with D&D and the Viking set as my two favorites. Like, and I can't really pick which one I'm most excited for. I think I'll throw more money at the D&D one because I'm a D&D fan as well. But I, I am excited for the new plane and I love Vikings. I'm a big fan of Norse sort of history and mythology so that'll be really too yeah yeah i i guess originally i was definitely more excited for the the norse mythology aspect of caldine but um the potential of this school one makes me uh really excited for what they could do but with that being said this certainly could be the one that i could be the most disappointed by just it has the highest ceiling and the in the the lowest floor that's for sure Oh, definitely. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. But yeah, looking at this year, um, it's definitely exciting to kind of uh, get a peek at. Um, I want to ask you guys, stacking up against, you know, this year of Magic or last year's even, um, whenever we've gotten these roadmaps before, overall, looking at all these sets lined up, even including Time Spiral and Modern Horizons 2, if you want to count those as well, how do you feel about this year? more so than you were the last few years um your expectations or at least what are your hopes for this uh this upcoming year we'll start with uh, you matt looking at it compared to this year and i think we all kind of have to do that because this year was um kind of a meh year for magic we had one set that everybody seemed to really hate we had people were kind of iffy about there was no set that really stood this is the amazing set Maybe Zendikar will fill that slot. We don't know. And we've also been dealing with the coronavirus, which has really hampered the Magic playing experience. So looking at it through that lens, I think next year is going to be awesome, not just because all the sets are really cool, at least from what they look like, but because it'll be exciting to get back into that swing of things in hopefully before January. But, you know, starting with the new set, being able to go back to pre-releases, being able to go and play Friday Night Magic with all these new cards because we're also not thinking about the fact that when we go back to Friday Night Magic, not only are we going to have these new cards that are coming out next year, we're finally going to get to be able to play these cards that have come out this whole year in paper form because when was the last time a set was released when we could actually it? Was it the January set this year? It was. The time a courier rolled around, we were already in, under quarantine, at least most of us. So it'll be exciting to be able to see all how, you know, we have our sort of local metas, but it'll be interesting to see how things change once we're able to go back and start playing Friday Night Magic. I'm excited for 2021. I think it could be one of the best years of Magic we've had. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Wizards learned a big lesson during 2020 about power creep um, because they talked about how they had the whole new philosophy back in, uh, I think it was 2018, 2019, where they were like, okay, let's just release these these cards and make sure they're fun. And then that they've said in a few statements, like, hey, we got it wrong, you know, with cards like Oko and just overpower creeping. And so I feel like... I'm hoping the next year they'll hit a happy medium where there's these fun, unique cards that we like to play with and we don't have to keep having these monthly bannings. And uh, 
there are these monthly bannings that just kind of suck the fun out, you know. Uh, I, I want to say that they've learned their lesson, and uh, and if that's the case, it'll make for a great year of of magic and constructed in general. Yeah, I hope you're right. I hope they did learn their lesson. Um, it definitely seems like they have. I mean, they've talked about it in like what they learned this year and the last year of magic, basically on that article. What a couple weeks ago now. Um, so, yeah, I I think they have. But my only worry is like how far out in advance they plan out these sets and things like that, that these have been in development for like a year. So this might be the last year that we get prior to this newfound, you know, learning their lesson, basically, that I, I my gut tells me we're going to have some busted cards again and a little bit of the same with this year as far as power level is concerned. So it's a little pessimistic from my view, but... I think that's well, just how it you know ties up with uh, where we're at as far as or where they're at I should say as far as development goes and how far out ahead they have to plan these things. Well, and I don't think that's even pessimistic because they're on the record saying, "Hey, sorry about the green cards that are going to be coming out over the next year. We kind of went overboard, and because of the way we develop things, there are going to be some busted green cards coming out over the next year, and then it'll settle down." So I don't think you're yeah. being pessimistic because there's evidence there that holy crap, green is going to get even more busted before it gets more balanced. Overall, though, as far as the lore is concerned, um, one thing we did fail to mention that I want to bring up now, free web series stories are back. Thank God we don't have to go through these horribly written novels of where we can find the story. So we, they're starting now with Zenikar. Web series are back. You can read them. That was one of my favorite things about getting into magic in the beginning, reading through like the Amonkhet storyline and our devastation and going to Ixalan and like why Jace was stranded there, uh, looking at the immortal sun and, and like how, you know, Tezzeret got there to, to steal the bridge and to, that eventually was used for War of the Spark to get Bolas and it, it, everything tied together. And it was nice and it had payoff to it. It felt like the Marvel Cinematic Universe where everything's built together and you're leading up to this great big thing. And when they finally tie those, you know, storylines and pieces together, it's just like, it's awesome. So I'm great to see that that's back. And I'm great to see, and I'm excited for that in particular, uh, particular looking at the slate for next year as far as what we have potential-wise for lore and story and flavor within the sets. So that's what I'm most excited about, by far. But yeah, shorter cast this week, guys. Um, we'll probably get back to a little bit longer cast again next week. We just had some time constraints, but we're overall, definitely from what you can tell, excited about the future of Magic, and we'll definitely go into that more. But like always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for the feedback we get on Reddit, on Twitter, and all the different things like that. Remember, click down in the description below that link. Join the MTG at Home Discord server. Play some Paper Magic with us. Talk about the podcast. Talk about the future of Magic with us. 2021 looks like a really cool year. Doesn't matter if you're, you know, expecting it to be broken again like I am, but the potential of what we could have is there, and it's, like I said, super exciting, and we want to talk about all of it with everyone. Um, but yeah, do it for us, and uh, like I said, thank you again, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Yeah. <laughs>